we just sang Psalm 23, it could be likened to being the Romans 8 of the Old Testament. Much of the themes that you will find in Romans 8 are found there in the 23rd Psalm, the sense of our assurance, the sense of our call to be led, the sense that we uh, have a, a vocation to do in this life. We are called by the Spirit to be led in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Romans 8, beginning at verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. The grass withers and the flower of the grass falls to the ground, but the word of God continues for our comfort, for our direction, and for our encouragement in every sphere of life. As we look at this passage of scripture, we see that it falls into three parts. We, we look and we see it's the Holy Spirit and our personal conduct, who we are before the living God that is being emphasized here, that we are to be led in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake in every dimension and sphere of our life. 
then two, you see that this passage deals with the Holy Spirit and our own personal assurance that we have been called by God out of this world and that we have in our hearts the desire to call God Father, Abba, and then too that the Holy Spirit leads us into what would be personal and direct service to the person of Jesus Christ as we live our lives as individual Christians in this world. As we look at this, this is Reformation Sunday, and as we think about Reformation Sunday, we're mindful that it was on the 31st of October of 1517 when Martin Luther took a list of 19 or 95 protests that he had against the abuses of the Roman Catholic Church. And he took those and he nailed them to the community bulletin board, which was the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. And at that time, the Protestant Reformation was ignited. Now, a few years earlier, in 1509, was born John Calvin in Noyon, France. And John Calvin was an academic and a literary man. And as he pursued his life as a Christian, he wrote what is now referred to as the Institutes of the Christian Religion, and these were published in 1536. He had probably completed them more than a year before publication. When he was a mere 25, 26 years of age, John Calvin published these things and became known as the theologian of the Holy Spirit. Now, these writings that were the Institutes of the Christian Religion then were republished four additional times in Latin, the last being in 1559, just a few years before Calvin's death in 1564. But Calvin was not satisfied with merely reaching the academic and professional theological community of his day. So in 1541, he wrote an edition in French of the Institutes of the Christian Religion, and this went on to be republished and uh, updated two further times during his lifetime. Now, Calvin was a man for the people of God, and his sermons he preached sometimes three and four times a week. These sermons were transcribed and were later published. Many of them are available to us today in English translations. He wrote commentaries on nearly every book of the Bible. He engaged in the theological disputes of his age, uh, publishing short tracts to deal with things of minor significance and larger treatises that dealt with the uh, large religious upheaval of the time. Besides all of this, he was a voluminous letter writer People like pastors like myself would write to Calvin because they were shepherding God's flock and they wanted to know how to do this to the best of their ability. They'd write Calvin and Calvin would write back. People like yourselves would write Calvin over issues of conscience and over issues that had to do with your own personal assurance or God's direction in your life. And he'd respond to these things. And again, many volumes of these have been translated into English and are available to us today as well. 
Now, even by today's standards, Calvin would be seen as a totally modern individual. Um, he, he had literally his own logo. I mean, how much more up-to-date can you be than that? And the logo was of a hand with the palm upwards, the thumb forward, and in the palm of the hand was a flame that came up out of the the palm, and in the flame was a what would be like a Valentine's heart. And then around this logo was his motto, and his motto was, My heart I offer to thee, O Lord, promptly and sincerely. He also wrote hymns. One of them was in the, the hymnal that the Presbyterians uh, used uh, earlier called uh, I greet thee, who my sure redeemer art. And the idea of this hymn is that the individual Christian with faith in Jesus Christ knows that Jesus Christ is the personal sure redeemer of their life. This was a great man. This was a man who focused the Reformation on the entire reintroduction of a living God into the personal lives of the Christian worshipers of his day. Now, as we think of this, and we think of this outline for this chapter, and we see that there is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the personal conduct of our lives, we can see this in chapter 8, verse 4 and 14, where the Spirit comes into our lives in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us and who walk according to the Spirit. And then as many as are known as, or as led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. And what Calvin is focusing on here and what Paul is focusing on here is your conduct and my conduct and the way we live each and every days of our life in every sphere and dimension of our lives. Now, the Roman Catholic Church at the time, they told and taught that private Christians should not hope to be able to do this, to be able to live in a manner that was worthy of the Lord, in a manner that was pleasing to him in every respect, being enabled to keep the righteous requirements of the law. The Roman Catholic Church said that this was principally fulfilled for them by the Pope, and then through the cardinals, and then through the various saints whom the Catholic Church was teaching that these people had accomplished a merit of righteousness that was available for the common Christian to draw upon in order that that common Christian would know that the requirements of the law had been fulfilled, not in them, but through the Pope and through the saints. Calvin came and began to teach, and that teaching continues to today. And in verse 14, we see that as many as are led by the Spirit of God. The language is as many as. Now, some of the translations will just take that and make it more concise and precise and say all 
that are led by the Spirit of God. These are the children of God, and that we are being led, as Psalm 23 says. Now, certainly I want you to understand that when we talk about being led by the Spirit, we can mean that we should pray that, uh, well, we should know uh, who we should marry. Well, the Holy Spirit's certainly interested in that, and we should pray about that. Maybe should we change vocations? Well, certainly, yes, we should pray and ask for the Holy Spirit's leading. But what the focus of this chapter is upon is upon our walking in the paths of righteousness for the Lord Jesus' name's sake, that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And so what Calvin is teaching us is, and what Paul is burdened to teach us is, that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we are able to do these very things. Calvin taught, Calvin modeled that we are to have our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone for our salvation. In verses 15 and 26 through 27, Calvin spoke to us about the calling of the individual Christian to fight for righteousness and to fight against sin and the knowledge that this was in a very conflicted and fallen world, a world in which the prince and the power of the air is out and about, in which we are surrounded by unconverted people and, and fallen structures all throughout the society, and yet we're being called to live obedient lives. And as we're living those kinds of lives in which we're stressed and oppressed, that we, we find out that we, we call out to God as Father. As it says in verse 15, when he, he says here, you did not receive a spirit of slavery. Rather, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. We cry out, Father, Abba. The spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. We don't even know how to pray as we ought in such a fallen world. And oftentimes we find ourselves totally at a loss for words. And we cry out to our Heavenly Father. And we say, Father, have mercy upon me. Father, give me direction. Lord Jesus Christ, teach me your ways. Lead my life. And we do this instinctively because we want to please the Lord. And it's difficult many times in this very conflicted and fallen world. But then, too, he taught that you would be led. You would be led by the Holy Spirit. It's not that it might happen, but it, it will happen. Now, it was like July 4th one year. My wife Pat and I went to a fireworks display, a little town I grew up on, the intercoastal waterway, Lake Worth, Florida. Had some friends with us. It's dark. We're looking at the fireworks. I'm looking up. I've got my eyes wide open. It's wonderful. Until one of those kind of chemically filled cinders landed right in the top of my eye, and the eyelid went right over the top of it, trapping it. Now, 
I was instantly, to use the word, in a world of hurt. (laughs) Well, my friend got up. He reached down and helped me to my feet. He took me by the arm, and we made our way around to various places and finally to a medical professional, and that nurse took a Q-tip. She put some uh, Vaseline on it. She caught my eyelid, and she started to roll that Q-tip, and my eyelid rolled right up with it. And then she just took something and flicked it out of the way, and she says, I bet that feels better. And it did. In just the same way, you're going through some issue of life, and you, you are tempted to go in one direction. You know you should go in a different direction. Well, the Holy Spirit comes and literally takes you by the arm and says, this is the way you should go. This is the path that you should follow. These are the things that you should think. These are the things that you should say. These are the things that you should do. It's not like it's something uh, that we can't understand whether the Holy Spirit's leading our lives or not. We feel it very directly, very personally, very intimately. Calvin taught people this is the Christian life that we are to live. Again, all of this was for the praise of the glory of our God that saved us, that we would walk in his path, in the paths of righteousness, for his name's sake, for his glory. This was Calvin's effort to focus the teaching of the Scripture on you and to me, how the Holy Spirit is going to lead us personally and directly so that we can walk pleasing to the Lord in every domain of life. Now, please look at verse 12 with me. It's got an interesting way of looking at this. It says, So then, brethren, we're debtors. You're a debtor. If you're a Christian, you're a debtor. Now, some of the other translations use the word ought and begin to speak about oughtness. What is it to have oughtness? What does it mean to be a debtor? It means when we consider that all that is God has done, all that Christ has done, in order that we might be saved, in order that we might live the kind of lives that would actually bring him honor and glory, we're debtors to this. There is an oughtness to this. We are to submit ourselves then to the Holy Spirit. We are to seek his leading. We are to submit to his leading. We are to allow ourselves to be carried on in this path of particular obedience and the growth of righteousness in our lives. Jesus Christ prayed, not my will, but thy will be done. And he taught us to pray that thy will would be done in our lives as it is in heaven so that we, in fact, can fulfill the righteous requirements of uh, the law of God in our life before God. Calvin was an example of this leading. 
Calvin tells his own personal story, it was about the year 1537. He had published the Institutes the year before. There was a price on his head in France, and he was on his way to Germany to pursue a literary career. And he came to the city of Geneva, and he came there to spend the night only. But there was a man named William Farrell, a pastor of the Reformed Church in Geneva, and he heard that Calvin was there. And this man was a wild sort of a man with, with flaming red hair. And he came and he just accosted Calvin. He stopped them in his tracks. He heard what Calvin's intentions were. And then he threatened Calvin over and over again and cursed Calvin's future if Calvin would not remain in, Calvin, in Geneva and lead the Reformation out of that city. Calvin said, I was completely overawed. This was obviously God speaking to me and directing the course of my life. How could I do anything otherwise? Now, he basically remained there uh, from 1537 till his death in 1564, except for a, a short couple of years that he was away from the city. But he shows us an example. What does it mean for us to have the Holy Spirit giving the direction to the personal conduct of our lives? The second thing that we see is the Holy Spirit and personal assurance. And again, we see this in verses 14. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, we're told, do we see this? If it, we see this, then we know that this is the spirit of sonship and adoption that's in our lives. And so when we come to issues in our life, we instinctively find ourselves calling out to God, Abba, Father, help, mercy, grant me this, guide my life, take over and lead. The Roman Catholic Church of the time was teaching that personal assurance was to be found in the seventh sacraments of the church of its day. If you were born into the church and you lived by the sacraments of the church and you died in the church under the sacraments of the church, you were assured that you would enter into heaven with God's approval and acceptance. And Calvin was saying no to this. Now, my wife and I had a friend. His name was Dr. Keegan. He was a Ph.D. and he taught in the School of Medicine in Mississippi. He'd been raised a Catholic. He had long been away from the Catholic Church when we first met him. Uh, he was soon to die as a result of the personal abuses that he had brought into his body. But as he came to the end of his life and these abuses were taking a terminal toll on him, he went back like a child to the mother church. It was almost a joke amongst his friends that this man who had lived this way knew at the end what to do. He would return to his mother, and his mother, the church, would see to his salvation. Again, what Paul is burdened to teach and what Calvin at the Reformation was burdened to teach is that this is a false kind of assurance but in order to unite the Christian to the assurance that God is truly their father, that it is well with their soul, that all that Christ has accomplished for us will be ours, the Holy Spirit was given to us. 
so that when we put our faith in Christ, that the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts and we end the struggles of what it means to be a Christian and to wrestle against sin and to wrestle to do the right things, that in this wrestling, we sense this leading. And in our despair, when we're overwhelmed, we cry out. We cry out with a great depth of sincerity of heart. Abba, Father, have mercy upon me. June 6, 1944, the Americans were coming ashore in France. Um, as they came ashore, thousands of Americans' youth were being slaughtered, some in the water, some as they made their way up onto the beach. Uh, their bodies were broken, they were dying. But what was a common thing that was heard by the soldiers that survived were the anguish of the wounded and the dying. These were boys. Some of them were 17, 18, 20. And out of the instinct and the agony, a mortal agony, here's what the, the, the surviving soldiers remember hearing. Mama! 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 What was going on? Here were young men who had been nurtured through life. And their life was broken. And it was going away. And from the depths of their instinct, they cried out, to the one who had cared for them and nurtured them through life. We are like them, and oftentimes our life is just like that. A death of a child, a death of a mate, a horrible disease, an accident, bankruptcy, what have you. But we're Christians. And we know God's our Father. And he's promised to hear. And we don't use the word God. We say Abba. We say Father. And we know that he hears us and answers our prayers. The last thing that we see is that the Holy Spirit and personal service we see this in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where Paul says the work of the Spirit in our life is that we would present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service, that we wouldn't be conformed to this world, but we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind, by the work of the Holy Spirit in us. This is what Paul talks about. The Roman Catholic Church, in contrast, was a hierarchical pyramid in which there was the Pope, and beneath the Pope there were cardinals, and then there were archbishops, and then there were bishops, and again there were all orders of, of monks and nuns. These were the people who God had called, according to the Catholic Church. God called the hierarchical structure of the Church to serve him not the common person. 
Calvin came through beginning to teach what was later to be known as the priesthood of all believers, that God had given us his Holy Spirit, that God had created us in a manner that we had certain ways of functioning that made us unique and distinct from other people in the church and that we were to take these gifts and the grace of the Holy Spirit and we were to take these things and to find our ability to weave them into the work and the mission of the church, of the body of Christ. And this is what, what Paul was teaching and this was what Calvin was teaching according to the scriptures. We think just a few years ago, maybe 20, 25, and Bob Dylan burst on the scene with some evangelical faith at the time. You remember the song that he wrote? you got to serve somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. Even Dylan at that time in his life understood the call upon his own life and the call upon individual Christians to serve the living God. In church planning situations that I've been, I'd mimic fishing. Here's the church planner fishing. He's fishing for new members, reeling one in and then another in. How long is it going to take to get the church planted this way? I said, no. God's made all of you fishermen. He's given all of you a fishing rod. And he's given you the gifts through your own personality, your own makeup, to connect with individual people that are outside of Christ in order that you might be an instrument of bringing them in. When a church understands that, a church reaches out to unsaved people, and the church grows. Pastors can't be everywhere where problems are, but other Christians are there. And Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we've gone through sufferings, been comforted by God, in order that when others go through sufferings, we who have already gone through those sufferings can be a comfort to others. We're taught. What are we told we're to do? We're to teach others likewise. We share in grief. We share other people's grief. Other people have joys. We join into their joys. We find our personal service. In Romans 12, it says some are to preach, some are to serve, some are to teach, some are to exhort, some are to contribute, some are to lead with zeal, some are to use acts of mercy with cheerfulness. It pretty much covers every one of us in our ability. But when we do this, what is it that's happening? You and I, individually and together, are showing that we, by the work of the Spirit in our lives, are serving Christ individually and directly. The Reformation taught individual Christians to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit to the end that the Church of Jesus Christ was to be blessed by their participation. The service of the Son to his Father, the service of Christians to Christ the King, and the service of spiritual people 
to the personal leadership of the Holy Spirit in their lives, to the praise and the glory of the Church, to the work of Christ, to the consummation of the ages. Let's pray. Father, we ask your blessing on us. We want to serve Jesus Christ. We ask your blessing on us by the Holy Spirit. Some here may not have the assurance that they truly belong to Christ, when in fact they do. We pray that you would grant that to them. Some of us are struggling in areas of pursuing righteousness in conduct of obedience. We pray that by your Spirit you would give us the grace to do this. And some are suffering, and we pray that we who have suffered would go to their aid. Now help us, Holy Spirit of God, to be your instruments in our service to our King, to our Church. We make our prayer in his name with thanksgiving. Amen.